Welcome to Jumbie, a podcast all about the monsters that even colonialism couldn't kill. Jumbie is a Creole word from the Caribbean that encompasses all spirits and demons that haunt the multitude of cultures that converge there. On this podcast, we're going to hear dark and haunting stories from local storytellers that are inspired by or about the spirits, monsters, and other cryptids that people surviving colonialism have used to process the horrors inflicted on their communities. This podcast was originally recorded in the fall of 2021, with several episodes originally released between October and December. That original season featured contributions from an individual whose values don't coincide with the intentions of this podcast. However, the stories and insights from those storytellers, including those that have yet to be released, are too valuable not to be shared. The following season of Jumbi has been re-edited to put the focus on the storytellers and the lessons they can teach us. So check your locks, look under your beds, and in your closets, because you're about to listen to Jumbi, Colonized Monsters. On this episode, we have Patrick Salvini, or in drag, Miss Nookie Galar. Having been raised to fear everything, Patrick has an uncomfortable relationship with stories that haunt us. Creator of shows like Scary Stories People of Color Tell in the Dark, Miss Galore's storytelling reminds us that dreaming is a part of our survival and that nightmares are dreams too. Now here's Patrick, or Miss Galore, telling the story, Pasa Lubon. Pasa Lubon by Patrick Silvani, a.k.a. Miss Nookie Galore. My grandmother once told me, when the Kumukotok come, there is Wulang Pagasa, no hope. I stand in front of my past, my parents, my baby sister, distant relatives, old friends, and recognizable strangers. They all stare up at me as they wait for me to start. The warmth of the lights only make me think of how tight my pants are and how my tucked-in shirt makes my stomach pop out. I hate it here. I pull the mic closer to my trembling lips. I miss you so much, Grandma. I stutter as I let my tears flow. The sound reverberates throughout the church. I pause, trying to regain my composure. My eyes fixate on three tall white candles burning beside the podium. I watch as the wax drips along the candlesticks and pools around the base. I want to tell everyone of how I grew up listening to my grandma's stories in the Philippines, about her washing clothes where the kettlebell drank water, how her mother taught her how to make candles for All Saints Day, frightening stories of a swung, multo, and bad omens, or how she conceived my father to some asshole during the Second World War, thinking she wouldn't survive. I want to tell them that every time she held my hand, I knew I was safe. Instead, all I could mutter was, Grandma, I learned so much from you about family. Though I could always tell you longed to be home. You were home. I was home when I was with you. Knock, knock, knock. I grumble. What the fuck? And roll side to side in bed. It's my first night in Toronto from Calgary. Back from the funeral, back from being with my family. I was back, alone and scared. Knock, knock, knock. A loud gust of wind blows against my blinds and my eyes snap open. Knock, knock, knock. 
I feel a chill seep into my room as my muscles tighten and instinctively my body starts to curl into a ball under my sheets. I wait silently and without moving. After half an hour of complete stillness, my fear turns into tiredness and my tiredness turns into uneasy dreams of my grandma. I'm surrounded by narrow walls lit dimly by candles on the ground. It's quiet and eerie. I feel a sense of familiarity as I look down to see my hands holding tight to the handlebars of a wheelchair where my grandmother sits, her head resting on her chest. Every step I take is slow and with intention. I'm at my grandma's nursing home. The screams and bellows of other seniors and the sound of scurrying nurses are only faint echoes within the dark emptiness. My grandma stares ahead as her voice finds life. I heard them knock last night. When the kumukotok come, there was Wulang Pagasa. Someone in our family will die, and there's nothing you can do. My throat clenches tightly. Unexpectedly, my grandmother raises her small and fragile hands toward me. I suddenly find my hand cradled in hers. She grasps my fingers and lifts her head. The kumukotok are here. Ring, ring, ring. I wake up, half-consciously place my phone against my ear and blurt out, Wulang Pagasa! What? You okay, buddy? A familiar voice beckons. I mumble, huh? You okay? Remember we made plans. We're welcoming you back. We'll be there in an hour to pick you up. I shake off my lingering dream. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Can't wait. As I get dressed in my room, the memories, the knocking, and fear for both my sister and parents' safety weave into a routine of me pacing, calling, pacing, calling, pacing, calling. No answer. Where is my family? My friends Raf, Nadine, and Kari arrive an hour later to pick me up. I open the door as they all hug me tightly. I didn't care that my hair was a mess with sweat dripping down my forehead because at that moment it felt good to be held in their arms. Before I can say anything, my friend Raph whispers in my ear, Sometimes the only good place to be is to not think at all. We're going to enjoy today, period. He pulls me closer. Seriously, ho. Let's get drunk. His words sink in, so I decide not to trouble my friends with my Filipino superstitions. I quickly zip up my backpack, trying to conceal a gift for them. What's that? Raph asks, trying to peek inside. I chuckle. It's a give-you-life kind of gift. It's called Pasalobong. You'll see. As we bike to Trinity Bellwoods, I call my family at every traffic crossing. Still no answer. I casually tell my friends to ease their curiosity. I just have to check in, you know? We find a spot in the park framed by tall, luscious cedar trees surrounded by hipsters, lovers, and wanderers. Nadine sits next to Raph. They tell us a story with their usual pitchy enthusiasm about the cis guy they're dating and their tumultuous love affair. I can't help but say, looks like you guys are in love. Nadine waves their hands dramatically and covers their ears. Our conversations go from random hookups, bad pickup lines, fuck the police stories to dreams and parties. We laugh, cuddle, and cry as our bodies absorb the heat of the sun. It felt like I was back in the Philippines. It feels like home. At moments, I catch Kari peering at me and quickly averting his eyes away. He awkwardly sits beside me, not saying a word. I grin, what? What nothing, he replies with a nervous giggle. We all stop for a moment and just smile at one another. 
I close my eyes towards the sky and let the light fill me with so much warmth that I don't want it to stop. Oh yeah, I have a gift for you all, I say excitedly. I unzip my bag and pull out a gift wrapped in banana leaves. I start unraveling it. This is what Filipinos call pasalubong. It's a gift to those that welcome you home. This belonged to my grandma, and my mom said, I can have it. I pause as I hear Raph clearing his throat. Nadine lovingly reaches for my hand. I miss my grandma, I miss my parents, I miss sharing our memories of the Philippines like we're back there again. I miss feeling safe. I see Raph bite his lower lip as he holds back words. He clears his throat again. Kari stares at the ground anxiously picking at the grass. I see his eyes twitch. Filipinos always ask me when's the last time I've been back home. And when I'm with you guys, I am home. This is home. I feel safe here. I spread open the banana leaves to reveal three rose-colored candles. In the Philippines, my grandma would sit by a huge tin bowl filled with melted wax. The bowl was almost half her size. I spread open my arms, outlining the vastness of the bowl. She would pour the wax over the strings, which were attached to a large ring made of bamboo. Before the wax set, she would straighten the strings by pulling down on them tightly. My grandma would repeat this for hours to get the perfect size candle. I pass a candle to each of my friends. She made these in the Philippines, and this is my gift. My pasalubong to you all. I take a deep breath in anticipation of the reactions. Suddenly, Raph begins to cough uncontrollably. He clamps his hands against his mouth. Blood sprays from his lips and splatters on his shirt. He looks into his palm. We look at him. Chunks of fleshy, blood-soaked guck rest in his hands. Raph's body begins convulsing. Oh my god, Nadine gasps. Oh my god, oh my god. My heart begins to race and my stomach starts to turn. The fear in Raph's eyes disappear as his eyes roll back into his head. Kari reaches for him trying to calm the ferocity of his shaking body. Oh my god, Nadine starts screaming as they abruptly jump back from the group. Oh my god, help me, help me. I turn to see Nadine starts grabbing their ears while blood forcibly seeps through their fingers. My momentary wonder switches into complete terror as Nadine's body buckles and their lifeless body collapses onto me. I hold them as their blood starts to drip down my arm. I look towards Raph and see his body is completely still. No, 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 I plead. The peaceful murmur of the park evolves to shrieks of panic. Dogs bark, lovers hold each other tightly as they scurry away. Children tortuously wail and cry, and the wanderers start to trample each other in hysteria. My body sits frozen. Kari grabs my shoulders and stares into my eyes. What the fuck is going on? His voice trembling. I'm so scared, please. My eyes lock onto his bloodshot eyes as red tears begin to flow down his cheeks. One by one, I analyze each drop falling from his chin down to the ground, forming a growing puddle of blood by my feet. I am no longer in control of my body or my soul. I sit in a catatonic state as the blood of my friends continue to drown me. My body sways, mimicking the leaves rustling in the wind while my lips begin to murmur repeatedly, Lampagasa. 
The last thing I hear before my entire world becomes silent is the incessant ringing of my cell phone. One week later, I sit alone in the church watching the sobbing families hold each other as they take three coffins out to the cemetery. I hate this. I begin kicking the church pew in frustration. I pull out my phone from my pocket hoping to distract myself from my own sadness. One new message. I slowly bring the phone to my ear and listen. It's my mom. Did you forget we went to Banff? She laughs. Now you know how I feel when you don't answer your phone. Also, Dad found a note for you in Grandma's things. Hopefully it will comfort you. Your Grandma wrote, Mahal kita, I love you so much. Remember, life is a gift, and so is death. Okay, Anak, gotta go. Call us back if you're not too busy. Oh, and I hope your family in Toronto enjoyed their pasalubo from Grandma. performing background i guess i'm a horror storytelling drag queen i like to tell stories i like to change the meaning of songs and to something scary like you might think it's just an ariana grande song but it's actually like a demon possession of the same lyrics and i like to have fun with that parts of it are true I think just like the way my friends are and just kind of that kind of like mystery and magic that my grandma had. Like a lot of it in terms of like the funeral is how the story started. And that was like from my grandma's funeral of me processing my own grief around that time. And like, yeah, that kind of truth. <laughs> I think for myself, it actually started with this Pasalobong where I was trying to process the grief of my grandma of missing her and like just like the relationship that my mom and my grandma had where they really hated each other they called each other like witch and like all these things all the time too and like that that relationship really affected me like i always loved talking about like they they got into like they threw basketballs at each other's heads this is a story <laughs> so family <laughs> stuff like they're pretty intense so i kind of wanted to represent that in the story because I was very close to my grandma. So my mom was very, like, jealous of her, too. Because, like, while my mom was working, like, three jobs, my, my grandma was the one taking care of me. So then she became very jealous of that. And then I've always connected to horror. I've watched horror movies all my life. I wrote horror stories since I was, like, a, a kid. And I think, like, this story in particular was the first time I was just like, oh, why am I not just writing a horror story. Why can't I not process my own grief through horror? And just to kind of like play with the idea of like queerness and chosen family actually is too, which is like friends and like that relationship between our blood family and then chosen family. I think like especially because our blood family lives in Calgary and then I came here to Toronto to get away from them basically. <laughs> when I was grieving, when I need... You know, like, I grew up with a family and a community. So if I was to leave home like I did, that's what I would be looking for. And, like, I found that in, like, friends. And, like, they would hold me through my grief. They would make sure I have a good time. And, you know, because they're chosen, it's just, like, it's kind of, yeah, we we feel closer. Like, I feel like a lot of times with my blood family, I, I spend my time with them fighting and arguing and feeling like, oh, reverting back to, like, a 
12-year-old kid that's like, this is so unfair. That's the thing to be seen, right? So it's just like with your chosen family, like they see you for who you are. And like, rather than just seeing you as the kid you once were kind of thing. So yeah, and like for me, killing them is like, for horror, like, I was just like, should I just kill one? I think actually even the Kumukotok, I think that started around the Second World War. I think like a lot of superstitions, you can find like very like colonial roots of like way of like controlling populations. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, like, if you believe a superstition long enough, like, it kind of becomes the truth. I think the actual origin of that was, like, Second World War, people would be, like, knocking on people's doors and say, basically, you were going to die. Like, when Japan occupied the Philippines, it was like, there was no tomorrow. Like, it's definitely a family thing. Like, something you bring back to your family because you've been away and you've come back. And, like... I think for me, it's just like part of being a good guest in someone's home, like maybe the way I was raised kind of thing, where you're just like, okay, here's a here's a little token, you know, it could be drugs, it could be a gift, whatever it is. <laughs> Please don't give me candles, I, I don't trust them. I think when I wrote the story, I think I was processing it. Like I think sometimes when we look into like grief and death and just like oh what lessons am i learning kind of thing what am i need to figure out and like people are like oh and i i didn't say what the gift like a you know death is a gift kind of thing like i also thought of buffy death is a gift and I'm like what <laughs> kind of things and like those are things i'm constantly reflecting on and i can't really be specific about what that actually is but like like i think of life sometimes as just like and like i'm a scorpio too and like i think part of our thing is just like rebirth and I'm like, rebirth means something's dying off, starting up on you again. So think of it as like a metaphor kind of thing. But like my grandma was always like that. She had like these like lines and you're just supposed to read so much deeper into them. It's literally like these ghost-like figures that are, that kind of represent the fates. It's just like the Grim Reaper basically knocking at your door and just saying, sorry, it's time. Like Final Destination is just like, there's no escaping. It's just like, you could do whatever you need to, but it's just like, it is what it is. And I think that's what made it scarier for me to like think of that sort of, it was just like, this is just how it is. And like, that's kind of how people that are close to us sometimes die. And that's, it's like horrible, but things are just as is sometimes. And I feel like a lot of like superstitions, just like how like superstitions shift, also like change with like capitalism and like I don't know. And I think that's like kind of what I wanted to do with the Kumukotok too, is just kind of like place it because it was very World War Two specific in like a time now, and then also like what does it mean for like the diaspora that have heard these stories from like back home? Do those stories stay location wise? Like, are they meant to? keep us in this specific place or like what does it mean when your stories actually travel across the ocean and that's why i always say i was like i think some people are always like oh i don't really get the horror or stuff like that but then i'm just like aren't you haunted though all the time or something (laughs) so (laughs) you seem a little haunted (laughs) exercise those demons right You can see me on Instagram. I love Instagram because I love the superficiality of it. So <laughs> at Santo Tricks. And then I also have a website, MissNookieGalore.com. You're listening to Jumbie. Produced and edited by Dev Ramsewa. 
Music by Z. Thompson. Sound effects are Creative Commons sounds from freesound.org. Thanks for joining us, and don't forget to check those dark, shadowy corners.